Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you're well. It is Friday, and it's not just Friday. It's Ember Days Friday. Four times a year we have the Ember Days on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, three days of the week, four times a year at uh, Four Seasons to give God thanks for all he has given to us. And uh, we give him thanks through penance, through uh, some abstinence, it's partial abstinence today, um, and um, and fasting. And because it's Friday, it should be total abstinence because it's Friday. Um, we should refrain from meat. Again, does the church require us still to uh, abstain from meat completely on Friday? No. Does the church require us yet to... Um, sacrifice every single Friday in remembrance of our Lord's death for us? Absolutely, yes. Meat is the norm. Abstaining from meat is the norm. But in Vatican II, the Church, um, I think, rightly and wisely um, gave its children the option of the sacrifice it gives to God. Meat is still the norm, and in the United States, the USCCB, the bishops, have asked that we maintain the Friday abstinence of meat. But again, if you're um, incapable of refraining from meat because of age or illness, maybe you're a vegetarian. What are you going to sacrifice? So are you free from sacrifice because you never eat meat? Absolutely not. You need to choose. I would choose your, mo- your favorite vegetable and abstain from that every Friday. We need to offer God, um, uh, us enter into a sacrifice every single Friday in remembrance of his sacrifice for us that opened heaven and restored us to God if only we repent and come to him. Um, so it is, a, it is Friday of Ember Days, uh, no meat or sacrifice today. Um, and again, if you can fast, Um, That is what the Church is asking for us, asking us to do on these Ember Days four times a year. came straight from the Old Testament, from the four seasons. God has always fed his people abundantly. Um, And uh, as we need to teach children to be grateful um, uh, and give gratitude back to God, God teaches his children also to do the same. I've been paying attention somewhat to the shortage of um, baby formula um, throughout the world. Um, We know that there have been uh, millions of um, baby formula cans or packages or bottles at the border for immigrants, but but quite short for uh, U.S. citizens, and many mothers are panicking. And also, we're beginning to panic on um, Americans on the shortage of food um, and the, oh, um, what is thought to be uh, a few weeks or a few months hence that the shelves will really be empty. 
that the the end of it all is that the government wants us to fear and to um, be happy to receive every single every single thing we need from them because they want to control us. They want to kill us, they want to destroy us, and they want to control us. And so the United States under President Biden um, is no different. That is his agenda, to fit in with the one world government, to give who that the... Um, uh, the World Health Organization power over our country to give up our sovereignty, all of that. It's Twilight Zone, but it's happening, dear ones. And so there's a wonderful article uh, from LifeSite News uh, that was published last month, May 25th, uh, by Dr. Malone. And um, its uh, subtitle is A Backyard Garden Can Quite Literally Feed a Whole Family. A Backyard yard garden can literally feed a whole family when i lived in new york um, people had places on the roof where they the roof of apartment buildings at 33 30 stores up stories up 20 stories up and they would plant vegetable gardens um, many people can can do so even in their homes um, and, and get artificial light or whatever it may be um, dr robert malone um, uh, he says there are wartime victory gardens during World War II. That's what the people had. That's how they survived. Wartime victory gardens, he says, can help us reject consumerism and reclaim self-sufficiency. And um, he says growing a garden is a victory over the globalist agenda a victory over those who wish to control every aspect aspect of consumerism as well as every aspect of our lives do you have do you want to ignore all this so you're not inconvenienced you don't have to plan it are you free to ignore it you certainly are your stores have enough food that's fine but i don't think it's for long i think you should at least plan and every time you go to the supermarket, bring back a couple of extra gallons of water, bring back a five-pound bag of beans and rice, things that you can um, sustain you, and learn a way to cook without electricity before you need to panic. I think it's time now. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Malone writes, people do not have to be dependent. Hold on. <clears throat> People don't have to be dependent on international agribusinesses, nutritionally valueless food, grain from Russia or Ukraine, food imports from China and other countries, or even be dependent on high-priced organics to feed ourselves and our families. Each of us has the power to create our food from scratch. Now, we're in Beloit here, Beloit, Kansas. We have a little garden in back. We have a little plot for a garden. Um, and there's a good-sized park here that's divided up into little lots. Um, and families grow their own vegetables. It's a, it's, it's a great thing. If you have a park in your city, you can, eat, you can do that. Divide it up into quarter-acre lots or whatever you need to do and grow your own vegetables for your family. He says, if people let government decide which food they eat and medicines they take... No, this is, this is a quote, actually, from Thomas Jefferson. If people let government decide which food they eat and medicines they take, 
their bodies will soon be in as sorry a state as are the souls of those who live under tyranny. I'm going to repeat this. We should have paid attention to this a long time ago. If people let government decide which food they eat and medicines they take, their bodies will soon be in as sorry a state as are the souls of those who live under tyranny. Thomas Jefferson. And if we haven't already had that uh, proven by the coronavirus, beloved, the the so-called vaccine, which is not a vaccine, it's a pathogen, it is designed to destroy us. More people have died from the vaccine than have died from COVID-19, than have died from the virus itself. We've already seen that. Dr. Malone says, so let us walk through the history of the war gardens and the UK and US, which later evolved into what we know as the victory garden. During World War I, food production fell dramatically in Europe because farm workers left for military service and many farms were destroyed by the war. Furthermore, the transport of goods, the transport of goods became difficult due to the dangerous conditions required for shipping by boat. A wealthy U.S. philanthropist and conservationist, Charles Lathrop Pack, P-A-C-K, conceived of the idea that food supply could be greatly increased by citizens planting small vegetable gardens which would supply local communities with food. Pack noted that this could be done without the use of the land and manpower already engaged in larger-scale agriculture and without the significant use of transportation facilities which were otherwise needed for the war effort. And I would ask, which add, which maybe he does later on in the article, without uh, damaging pesticides, uh, without... Um, Uh, genetically manufactured food, all of that. The United States National War Garden Commission was organized in 1917 by PAC. And within that same year, the War Garden Campaign was launched. This campaign promoted the use of surplus private and public lands for small vegetable gardens, resulting in over 5 million Gardens, with the value of the produce from these gardens exceeding $1.2 billion by the end of the war. Even children were mobilized in the effort, and school victory gardens were also planted at educational institutions throughout the United States. Oh, beloved, I find this exciting, and I find it so doable. Your health, your life Your survival does not have to be dependent on anyone but yourselves and your own families, maybe in union with your community. You can take charge of your life, and I think we need to do it now. I think we're out of time. There's music, dear ones, for our first break. And as always, you may call in um, at any time during the program with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-877. 511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for another round of Let's Talk About This when you and I walk through a complex issue together. I'll be asking, are you depressed or are you demoralized? There's an important difference and you need to know it. Be sure to tune into The Catholic Current on Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Nava, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. You can also catch a bonus encore Saturdays at noon Eastern. God bless you. Keep the faith. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she. And we are live, and we are very grateful to God for the Station of the Cross and for LifeSite News and for all of you who support both. Um, we are grateful yet for the free use of media, for electricity, for all of that. And I say that because when we will not have it, um, we, will, we will certainly miss it. And if we ever get it back, we will be very grateful. I think we should be grateful now. So right now, we're speaking of what was done during World War II when the supply of food was out. And um, Dr. Robert Malone has written an article published on LifeSite News on March 25th. Um, no, May 25th, just last month. Um, and... Um, uh, to show how people survived, didn't survive, they flourished under their own wartime victory gardens that fed, um, oh, how, I forget what it said, um, the gardens exceeded, um, the value of what they grew uh, exceeded $1.2 billion by the end of the war, and everyone was fed much more nutritionally than we are fed today by manufactured food, by... Um, pesticides by food that is not organic and has been reproduced and has lost all its nutritional value. It's destroying our bodies and we are 
walking around fat, missing nutrition. Um, And the article continues, the U.S. National War Garden Commission was organized in 1970. Oh, we read this, let me, 1917. Let me just read this last paragraph again. Was organized in 1917 by a gentleman uh, whose last name was Pack, P-A-C-K, and within that same year, the War War Garden Campaign was launched. This campaign promoted the use of surplus private and public lands for small vegetable gardens, resulting in over 5 million gardens, with the value of the produce from these gardens exceeding $1.2 billion. By the end of the war, even children were mobilized in the effort, and school victory gardens were also planted at educational institutions throughout the U.S., The United States Garden Army was established by the U.S. Bureaus of Education and the Department of the Interior, and President Woodrow Wilson took a special interest in the cause. By the end of World War I, more food was being produced by these home gardens than farmers had produced in years prior to the war. The idea of the war garden was continued and expanded during World War II, as labor and transportation shortages once again made it hard to harvest crops and to move fruits and vegetables to market. As the government and rationed foods like sugar, butter, milk, cheese, eggs, coffee, meat, and canned goods due to the war, shortages of foods became the norm. Therefore, the United States government encouraged citizens to plant Victory Gardens, also known as War Gardens, or Food Gardens for Defense. I say, beloved, they are needed now. They are needed now. Not next year, not in six months, but now. We need to learn how to plant. We need to learn how to grow. We need to learn how to harvest our own food. We need to learn how to cook it with or without electricity, with or without light. Um, Dr. Robert Malone continues in this article, nearly 20 million gardens were planted. 20 million, beloved. Here in the United States alone, 20 million gardens were planted in backyards, in empty lots, and even city rooftops. New York City had the parks and public lawns devoted to Victory Gardens, as were portions of San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. In Hyde Park, London, sections of lawn were publicly plowed for plots to publicize the movement. Neighbors and communities, all within, all with the goal of winning the war, formed cooperatives to meet the local needs of fresh produce, see? Not just to feed their own family, but everyone came together. Farm families, of course, had been planting gardens and preserving produce for generations. Now, urban gardens became the norm. The government and businesses encouraged people to can and preserve their own produce to save the commercial produce for the troops. People responded in mass. The produce harvested from these gardens was estimated to be 9 to 10 million tons. When the war effort ended, 
so did the Victory Gardens. But the idea has lived on. And I would say, beloved, um, <clears throat> we need to do that now because we are at war. Not a World War One or World War Two. We could be at World War Three soon, which will probably destroy the planet. But we are at war with evil right now, with uh, a globalized mindset that is run by the devil and that wants to destroy human beings and um, remanufacture them. Dr. Malone continues, with the advent of fertilizer, grain, petroleum, and energy shortages worldwide, it seems that the stage is set for the next wave of victory gardens. New Yorkers answered the call way back then in 1943. After the program began, the city had approximately 400,000 victory gardens, which sprouted up on 600 acres of private land. Uh, It's just beautiful. People came together and they didn't say, this is my potato, that's yours. They, They weren't greedy. They weren't hoarding. They came together and planted um, endless war or victory gardens uh, for their food. And I say again, it's much better, much healthier than anything we can buy in the supermarkets today. Um, A quote from Gertrude Jekyll says, A garden is a grand teacher. It teaches patience and careful watchfulness. It teaches industry and thrift. Above all, It teaches entire trust. That's it. We can do all the planting, but if God doesn't give the increase, the garden won't grow. It teaches us trust. Fast forward, Dr. Um, uh, Malone says, fast forward to my own farm. When I work in my garden, whether it be in our fruit orchard or merely routine routine wedding, I'm sorry, merely routine weeding, I feel like I am doing something worthwhile that I am creating. Growing a garden is a victory over the globalist agenda, a victory over those who wish to control every aspect of consumerism as well as every aspect of our lives. So let us once again embrace the name of the Victory Garden because in the very act of growing a garden, we are choosing to be a part of the production of life, to be producers instead of consumers. That is a victory. It is a victory to grow an abundance of food, to share that with others through cooking, giving, bartering, and even selling. Community forms from the small, everyday acts of life. One of the most rewarding ways to both eat healthily and keep the passion high for healthy living is by growing your own food. By that, I tell you, if we did that, beloved, and took care of ourselves and stopped relying on manufactured food and uh, everything that goes wrong with it, um, um, we we would put hospitals out of business. Dr. Malone says, um, I'll repeat the last sentence, one of the most rewarding ways to both eat healthily and keep the passion high for healthy living is by growing your own food. By that, he says, I mean anything from having a parsley plant in a pot by the door of your apartment 
or on a windowsill to a tomato plant in a bit of soil in the backyard to having a community garden plot or to having your own vegetable patch. Gardening is a spectrum of choices. It can even be as simple as sprouting alfalfa seeds. When I cook, he says, with produce that I have harvested, I use resources as they become available. Cooking with what I grow is an immensely creative activity. It motivates me to eat healthy and to be healthy. Gardening, he says, is a grand endeavor. If you have not grown your own food and you find a creative way with lots of pots or artificial, um, you know, build a huge box and put dirt in it, plant a garden on your porch, it, be creative. And then you, the, the children see things growing and they, they can harvest them and you see them on the dinner table. It's tremendously rewarding for them. They're proud of what they grew with, together with God. They can't believe they're, they're sustaining their own bodies. <clears throat> Dr. Malone says gardening is a grand endeavor that must be planned in advance. Many a winter or early spring, I have spent happy hours looking through seed catalogs or strategizing on where and how my vegetable garden will be cultivated. Spring is the time for preparing the soil and finally planting. Summer is hard work and yet the most rewarding time for my garden. Fall is a closing up of the summer garden plot and readying for the winter climate depending. Vegetable gardening, he says, is a seasonal activity. It puts the body and mind on track and in sync with the world around us. A vegetable garden is also a political statement. To commit to breaking out of the supply chain network, to living without store-bought food, is an act of resistance. If you don't want your produce coming from China, if you want to know what really went into those green vegetables on your plate, a garden is a must. It can also be a commitment to creating an intentional community, whether sharing with friends and neighbors or eating a meal harvested from the earth. These are time-honored ways to create bonds. He continues, but vegetable gardening is also more than a healthy stress-relieving activity. It is a commitment to the future. I like, he says, to think of my vegetable garden as a small act of giving to the future. Growing food is a simple way to create surplus in times of shortages, a simple way to help relieve the stress of inflation. Beyond that, as Americans, if we truly value freedom, we need to again become committed to self-sufficiency, both as a nation and as individuals. There's the music, dear ones, for our second break. When we come back, we have an entire half hour all to ourselves. Our lines are wide open, our phone lines. You're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, one 877 511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com and we'll be right back.
Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. Catholic radio has just been a lifesaver for me. I start my day with it. I listen to it all day long as much as I can. There's always people calling in with people who've lost children, and I love everyone has to say and the advice of the Catholic Church and how to deal with suffering. It has given me the strength to get through the day and to get out of bed each morning. I am very grateful for it. Catholic Radio to me has been very informative on my religion. It has informed me of many things that I wasn't aware of or should have been aware of, and I've enjoyed it very much listening to it. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. The Fatima children often wanted to run away from the crowds and intrusive, inquisitive people seeking them. For the salvation of souls, however, they often decided against fleeing and spoke with them. And it was not an easy decision. St. Bernadette had the identical problem in Lourdes. Heaven is a society. You cannot practice heaven by running away. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your reoccurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a necessary card number change for security purposes. If you suspect that we don't have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is a, We have a whole half hour left all to ourselves And I love it when you call in. And again, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. It does not need to be what we're speaking about, but whatever is on your heart. And I invite you to call in toll-free or text at 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Just a quick reminder also that the Men's March will be not just this weekend, but tomorrow, June 11th, um, in Tallahassee, Florida, where hundreds of men will be walking fathers with their sons at the Men's March. And most, I think, dressed in suit and ties. What a beautiful um, picture that's going to be. Men fighting for um, to stop the murder of babies in their mother's wombs. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, a project event. Um, I think Jim Havens of the Station of the Cross is behind it. That that holy man of God, and um, you can look up the Men's March dot com, uh, or um, I have a little note here that for updates, listeners can text Men's March. It, it's written all in capitals, one word, Men's March, um, 
two T O and then the numbers two two eight two eight. Um, one other um, mention um, uh, I had mentioned yesterday morning that um, uh, Jim ha- Havens um, was uh, interviewing Bishop Athanasius Snyder of Kakistan, um, and it appeared yesterday. The program was aired yesterday at 4 p.m., um, and um, uh, I was not able to see it at 4 p.m., but I'm going to go to the stationofthecross.com, go to the Jim Haven Show, uh, or their Facebook page, or wherever I can get it, and you'll be able to look up um, uh, The Simple Truth with Jim Havens and Bishop Athanasius Snyder and be able to see the program yesterday. Bishop Athanasius Snyder is um, a holy bishop who we are uh, endlessly uh, grateful uh, to God for. He is a holy bishop. He does not hesitate. I said before, people call him very courageous. I don't call him courageous, uh, not because he's not courageous, he's beautiful, but because he's simply being a Catholic bishop. He's simply being Catholic, and a Catholic knows and speaks the truth because they care about souls. And he's simply being a bishop, a true successor of the apostles. And we are utterly, utterly, yeah. utterly grateful for him. Um, my dear friend Kurt from Boston is on the line. Hello, my brother. How are you, Mother Mary? I'm doing terrifically, thank you. That's good. Um, yeah, I was saying to the, um, I think it's Matt, he was asking, what did you want to talk about? I said, well, you know, in Allington, of course, they've got the pride flags up, and I've got my Sacred Heart statue out in the front yard. I've got my St. Michael statue, which is three and a half feet tall, lit up in my attic. I've got the Blessed Mother, and I found three children of Fatima that somebody was throwing out in the trash, so I put them there Oh, as well. wow. Mm, good for so you. That's always out there, and, you know, I'm in two men's groups, and... I'm trying to get, you know, even though they're separate groups, I'm trying to get everybody connected to one another and, you know, get out there and speak the truth and let's have a, um, a counteraction. You know, this is the uh, the month of the Sacred Heart. Next month, I believe, is the month of That's the right. Precious Blood. That's right. And so everything will be contrary to the church. Let's face it. The new world order is to get rid of the old order, which is Christendom. And make That's no right. mistake about it. So... With all that said, it was funny. I was dropping off my brother-in-law. He had a doctor's appointment, and um, I'm coming back up through Boston, which is in Brookline. And what do I come across? Three people kneeling, and I'm saying, this is an abortion clinic. I never knew it was. So I I turned around, knelt down there with them. And, of course, you know me with my loud voice. You know, the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers were coming out very loud. And no sooner did I start, this one woman comes right up in my face, you know. You hypocrite, you should be going for gun control and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. People should have control over their senses and not being ripping babies apart in that building over there. That's what I'm trying to promote. So, um, you know, she kept going on, but she left. And then I was speaking to a woman there and we got to talk and, and it's ironic. She was from the Plymouth area and talking about her pastor, uh, Father Graham. And I said, it's funny. 
That used to be my priest up at St. Agnes. I said, you tell him, you know, you know, Kurt, and you said a rosary with him. And no sooner was I about to leave that this other gentleman showed up, a kid, I would say probably in his 20s, early 20s, saying, I'm going to video this because I have the freedom to do so. I said, you certainly do, but I have a bigger freedom to promote my faith and to say it like I mean it because a faith without a public expression is no faith at all. I said, would you like to join us? He says, I'm not religious. I said, well, why don't you just stand over there, be quiet, and you can film us, and maybe you can learn a few prayers or two, you know? But, um, you know, I tried Kurt, to the brown scapula. Kurt, Go ahead. my brother, you know, there's only one thing wrong with you. I wish you'd live your faith. <laughs> I'm joking. You need to live your faith, you know. Kurt, you are you're just just absolutely beautiful. I often say live as if it's true and if there's someone who does that, it's you. I thank God for you, my dear brother, and that's and and we need to be Christ to the world. We can't bring the world to Christ, but we can bring Christ to the world. And God bless you, Kurt. Um I love it when you call in. And uh, keep strong, my brother. Keep strong. Keep encouraging people. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I can't imagine that our Lord and our Lady are not pleased with your life. I'm hoping. I'm hoping, Mother. I know. Uh, I go to confession. I try to go twice a month because I need it. Because, you know, I, I, I get in my own way. You know, my own, my own personality comes out. And, you know... I'm trying to learn not just the purgative, but to really get to the root of the problem. A good prayer is that, you know, our Lord's outside of time. So I just finished my rosary and I was saying, please, Lord, give me, I give you this rosary to offer up a hundred years ago when my habit started through my bloodline. And may I make reparation for it? Because we need to do this. Let's let's face it; it's diabolical what's going on. Yeah, it and, is. And you know, I, I I do it crudely, may I say? But I don't know how else to do it. I have a voice. <laughs> I have feet. And uh, you know, say it like it is, and I'll and I'll worry about the particulars later. You know. Okay. <laughs> I love you, and you be exactly who you are. That's the, one of the famous statements of St. Francis de Sales. Be, be who you are and be that well. I love God for you, Kurt. God bless you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank and, you. And Keep be, me in your prayers, Mother. I need them. I know. I need them, too. God bless you, my brother. God bless you. We have an email from John, <clears throat> and John wrote, Hello, Mother. I listen to you on the radio um, all the time while I work on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio. Oh, how nice. Oh, while I, I listen to you on the radio all the time while I work, and he listens on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio WQOM 1060 AM in Natick, Massachusetts. Yay. So now he says, here is my question. I do the rosary with my wife and her niece. When I get to the five mysteries in my Bible, after it, it shows a Bible verse. Is it okay to say the first sorrowful mystery? Um, agony in the garden, and then say the, the Our Father. I do this, and I want to make sure I'm doing it right. Um, normally, I think you're, you've described it exactly right, um, 
John, we, what we do, um, we normally start the rosary. Um, we start with the Apostles' Creed, then we say the Our Father, and then three Hail Marys, and then proceed with the five mysteries. So if it's the sorrowful mystery, exactly as you said, if it's the sorrowful mysteries on Tuesdays and Fridays, then you would begin, uh, you would say the first mystery is our Lord's agony in the garden, and then you would say the Our Father, and then you'd follow it with ten Hail Marys, then you'd say the second mystery is his scourging at the pillar. So that would be the normal way to say it. It sounds like what you've written. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But if you're confused at all, just look up on the Internet um, how to say the rosary, and it'll give it to you. John says, I'm learning a lot from you on the radio, and I thank God I found this station. I thank God I found the Station of the Cross also, dear John. John writes, it has taught me a lot. I've not been to church in about 45 years, but after my heart problem, I took that as Jesus telling me it was time to come back home. Blessed be God. Now, he says, I go to church with my wife and had my first confession in 45 years. I tell you, there's no way. I, I can't think of anything greater on earth than that. I can't think of anything greater, John, or any greater joy in heaven. Um, I think if the angels could have had a band and a party for you when you came out of that confessional, they would have. <clears throat> he says, I feel better, but what if I forgot something? Seeing that it's been 45 years, how do I go about that? You know something, dear one. I think the priest assumes you forgot many things. Uh, even if we go to confession every week, we uh, either forget something or we're unaware of it. Most of our sins are, are we're blind to or they're unintentional. We, we confess the intentional sins and those that we're aware of. But we should always say in our confession, and for all my other sins, I am sorry. Um, even if I can't think of them, even if I don't know them, I know I commit them. And so um, just uh, that's all you need to do is say, um, I, I don't remember anything else, Father. Uh, for 45 years, I'm sure there's other sins, and I, I'm sorry for all of them. That's it. And you, you trust uh, God's forgiveness to you through the priest. You trust his absolution. You utterly fulfill whatever penance he has given you. And down the line, if you happen to remember some a sin, and it's venial, and, and, but you, and you know you've been forgiven all your sins, you don't need to worry about it. If you recall a mortal sin that you committed 15 years ago, let's say, and you didn't mention it in your confession after 45 years, is it also forgiven? It is. But I would go back personally to confession and say I was absolved for having been away from the church for 45 years for many sins, but I just remembered that I committed this mortal sin about 15 years ago, and I want to confess it. And the priest will give you absolution. Again, you've already been forgiven, but he will affirm that, but also give you a penance that might be a little more in keeping with that particular sin, which will help to restore your soul. Okay, now, um, we have an email from Scott, and Scott says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I love listening to your show. Thank you for your ministry, and thank you for speaking truth. Thank you, Scott. 
<clears throat> Scott says, I'm a first-year theology teacher at a Catholic high school in New Jersey. I've been a phys ed teacher at the school for the past 10 years, but was asked by the parish pastor this summer to take on a new role teaching sacred scripture to our seniors. The other day in school, I overheard a few students in the hallway talking about what they had just heard in their sophomore theology class. As I was quite intrigued by what I thought I had overheard, I asked the students if they would not mind sharing with me what they were talking about. What they told me was quite jolting. I'm hoping you can shed some light on this. Well, dear ones, there's the music for our break. And so um, uh, we're being left uh, in, in the middle of Scott's email in mystery. But we will continue as soon as we come back from the break, it'll be our last segment. We'll have a good 10 minutes, um, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Prayer in time of affliction. Blessed, O Lord, be thy name forever. Who has permitted this affliction to come upon us? We cannot escape it, but must of necessity fly to thee to help us and turn it to our good. Lord, we are now in affliction. Our souls are ill at ease, for we are much troubled with this present suffering. Let it please thee, O Lord, to deliver us, for poor wretches that we are. What can we do without thee? Thy mighty hand can do all things. Give us patience, O Lord, and strength and peace. Help us, O God, and we will not fear, no matter how grievously we may be afflicted. O Lord, thy will be done. Welcome be the will of God. Sacred heart of Jesus, we place our trust in thee. Amen. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. When abortion becomes illegal again, are we going to start throwing all the women who have had abortions into jail? No, the people who should go to jail in that case are the abortionists. This is how it worked before abortion became legal and how it should work again. The pro-life movement is not interested in punishing women, but rather in stopping the killing. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on The Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. This is our last segment. We have about 10 minutes. And I said uh, before the break, our lines are wide open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-5483. You may text at that number as well or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We're right in the middle of an email from Scott, who uh, is a first-year theology teacher. He's teaching scripture at a Catholic high school in New Jersey, and he, he overheard some students in the hallway talking about what they had just heard in their sophomore theology class, and he asked if they might tell him what they were speaking about, and he said what they told me was quite jolting. I'm hoping you can shed some light on this. He says, the students relayed to me that in class, they were discussing the Blessed Mother and the Virgin Birth. They told me that their teacher, who has a master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute, by the way, was saying that our mother had not really birthed the baby Jesus. In quotes, had not, quote, really birthed, end quote, the baby Jesus. They said that the phrase used was, quote, Nothing went in, nothing came out, end quote. Scott, I've never heard uh, these things before. And Scott says, in other words, yes, Mary is the mother of Jesus, but we are unsure exactly how the birth took place. Most likely, he was just there, whatever that means. Scott says, I was totally shocked. I'm hoping maybe the teacher was trying to explain that perhaps because labor pain is a consequence of the fall, and since Mary is sinless, she did not experience the labor pains that other women do. Or perhaps she was trying to explain the mystery of a divine conception coupled with a human mother, and the students just kind of misunderstood what she was saying. I really have no idea what the teacher was getting at, but in the minds of these kids, they were just taught by their theology teacher that Jesus was not really birthed like any other normal human being. Am I crazy or is this absolutely absurd? I have never in my life heard anything like this. Is there any truth to what these students were being taught or is this teacher off her rocker? Please advise. Thank you so much and God bless Scott. Scott, What you need to do is go to that teacher and find out, not what the students heard, you you heard what they heard, but I would go to her and ask her um, what her teaching is on that. And when she explains it to you, you might say to her, I wonder if you wouldn't uh, think it's wise to re-explain that to the students because here's what they're saying, that Jesus wasn't truly birthed. Our Apostles' Creed, um, that comes straight from the first uh, Apostles, is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Those two lines. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and so forth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. All of that is in the Gospel of Luke. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who is the spouse of Mary, not the human spouse, St. Joseph, who was her guardian 
not the natural father of Jesus, but the guardian of the Holy Family. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, is the spouse of Mary. Um, and um, so she is the daughter of the Father and the mother of the Son and the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. The issue is here that he, yes, Mary was without sin, and so it was not a painful birth, um, and she remained a virgin. And so uh, it's not easy, or I should say it's quite difficult for anyone to describe the birth of Jesus. We must know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. That's foundational. We cannot deviate from that. How that birth took place Um, Many theologians through the years and mystics have tried to understand it because her womb, again, she remained a virgin. And so her womb is spoken of as a veil through which he came without destroying the veil. Um, Very difficult for us to understand that. Um, But he went through his burial clothes and they were left intact as well. Uh, He's God. And um, there's nothing impossible for him. So exactly how the birth took place, um, you you could read Mary of Agreda, which is approved by the church, and other mystics who describe the birth of our Lord in various ways. I don't know if anyone has it 100% where I could absolutely read it from their writings, but what the church uh, has as infallible doctrine is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. However, that birth took place, whatever happened in order for her to remain a virgin. Um, It was Mary who gave him flesh and blood. It was Mary who gave him a human heart. Mary who gave him the ability to suffer. It all came from Mary. Um, I wish I had a... um, a beautiful little reading that I that I have from a ha- Carol Householder. Truly, truly beautiful. Um, but in any case, what we know is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Scott, and um, that's it. And the only thing we know of a human birth is a baby coming through the mother's womb. This baby... <coughs> Uh, whom Mary alone gave, to whom Mary alone gave a human heart, a human mind, a human body, um, was born of Mary with no question how he came through her womb without violating her womb. It's a mystery. And again, you could look up Mary of Agreda and other mystics and maybe get some idea of what they're saying that uh, also, Maria Veltorta. All of these have been approved by the church. They weren't for years, but they are now. And so, um, you can take a look at their descriptions. Um, and I would, I value them, but I, I'd have to read them all to come to the perfect way of telling you this, and I'm not uh, able to do that. <clears throat> okay. But you might go to that teacher and say, uh, you know, I heard some what seems to me confusing things from your theology students. Obviously, you made an impression on them. You're doing a good job. But um, can you tell me what it is you taught them? So try to find out from her. Um, 
Denise writes in an email, Dear Mother, hope you and the sisters are doing well. We are, Denise. Thank you so much. She said, I just wanted to ask you, do Jews believe in purgatory? Uh, The answer is yes. They don't call it purgatory, but the answer is yes. Purgatory comes from the Jewish book of 2 Maccabees. We Catholics, she said, quote the book of Maccabees. There it is. When we try to justify why we believe in purgatory. You can also quote 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and following. This book is in the Old Testament, so I'm wondering if the Jews believe in purgatory. Thank you and God bless. Denise, yes, it's Maccabees is, is their history. And they're talking about praying to their dead. Not to their dead in hell, but to the dead who they believe have gone on to be with God, but who committed some sins that they need on earth to pray for and atone for. Yes, if you say, well, do they have the word purgatory? Not to my knowledge. Um, uh, Do we have the word purgatory in the Bible? Absolutely not. Uh, Any more than we have the word trinity or incarnation and other things. But the scriptures teach them, and so does the church. Purgatory comes from the Jewish faith growing up in a Jewish home. We lit Yurtzeit candles, candles, and we offered prayers for the dead. That is what purgatory is. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.